Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indie. You've got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher and more remember it's discord.gg slash indie game business what's up everybody my name is indy and that gentleman way over there on the other side that's mr j powell and welcome to indie game business and today we're here with Corey trace from the trace brothers and we're talking the, about the award-winning yeah. legendary and you, yeah, you are award sure. you are award-winning now we have we have won some awards it's true it's That's those amazing. badass glasses is what it is <laughs> i i love those glasses man those look like they make you go really fast very fast very they fast. shield you from all of the photons <laughs> coming out of the monitor uh, i mean it looks like you've got like four monitors there so you, you, you're gonna need that support we have we have uh, a large array of monitors it's important to have you know a lot of monitors and some of them vertical and some of them horizontal right for sure right for sure just uh oh here we go see, nice you see some of my monitors here mm-hmm. that's a collection of them uh, and that's the yep. Boca monitor at the top, right? Good God, are you trying to like land real spaceships somewhere, Corey? <laughs> well, you've got to you've got to look at the game and the game's code and the game's art, and you got to have a Reddit and you got to have a Discord monitor, and you can't you can't put all your applications on one monitor. And then you have to have a multiple camera angles, right? Very confusing. Yeah, I mean, this is uh. This but, is game development, you know, it's tough. So is that five monitors or six? I can't tell on the right. It, it's six, yeah. Two, two landscape and then two uh, portrait on each side. Nice. It's very, very efficient. Uh, I like this setup a lot. I have four, nice. and, and that's a lot. Six is just like, that's crazy. I, I, I have two. You know what, Jay? Once you go three, once you go three, you won't go back, and then you'll be like, "I need another one." And then, then you're like, "I mean, not for game development, but but then you're like, I need to find something to put on that fourth monitor all the time." Well, you're just looking for stuff. Mm -hmm. I think one of the tricks is like a lot of the applications that I use like to be split up across multiple monitors. Like they're made up of many different windows. Like Unity has. 28 different windows and you could put them all into one thing and have them as 28 tabs but that's so inefficient because every time you want to do anything 
you have to go to that find the tab and scroll over and select it yeah i mean so, even like for photoshop it works I, when i was a yeah. 3d animator doing it with maya that's what i did i had like my work screen my playback yeah. screen and then one screen had all of like the 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 docs and windows and everything hierarchies mm -hmm. yep your tools and your brushes and your swatches yep precisely it's the same thing and you just kind of you use enough applications and you find you but you know, you know really the are screen hungry. The one thing that sucks is when you're traveling and you have a laptop and you're like, "What the fuck am I gonna do with just one screen?" <laughs> yes, that is definitely very difficult. You uh, end up uh, frustrated, <clears throat> and confused, unable to use the application because you don't even know how to find the windows that you usually just have on a monitor. That, that's yeah. the problem I have with with only just two monitors. When I go back to my laptop, I'm like, "Ah, yeah, I can't." concentrate on just one um but yeah Tom. anyway long segue into uh welcome back to the show Corey. <laughs> you can see well, we were just talking about you know i won some awards we sold some copies of our game and i spent all of it on monitors <laughs> <laughs> and, and multiple graphics cards to, to you know, Absolutely, those monitors. Yeah. yep you know gotta have the highest possible refresh rate for your text editor <laughs> For, for the turn-based game that, that you uh -huh. play. You're FPS, man. <laughs> FPS, competitive FPS, really important for turn-based gaming. We don't need no tables or things on the wall. I just oh, want monitors. I like crazy. that. I like nothing on the walls. I like that. I mean, you know, because you see some people and they just got so much stuff on the walls. And it's personality. But, you know, when you have, like, just your workspace and your workspace, that kind of feels good. It feels clean. Yeah, my desk needs to be clean, but it's not right now because it's tax time. So yeah, anyway, so um, where, where do we want to start? So so you have had, we talked to you a year ago when in the midst of Star Trader's wow. Frontiers. Jay's addiction. Now, Jay's wow. addiction is okay. what we call it. Yes. Wow. Luckily, luckily, Android doesn't tell me how many hours I've spent in a game like Steam does, or I would, you know, I would feel really, really bad. But... I mean, do you want to start there? Do you want to start Kickstarter? Because you've got a Kickstarter coming up like next week, maybe. We do yeah, it starts on Monday. Yeah, for Cyber Knights. Now that's a that's a sequel, right? It's a sequel to one of our old Android-only games. Yeah, this is the one that uh, if you talk to our fans, if you hang out on our Discord, or you were on our forum for the the last decade, this is the game that everybody has asked us to make another one. We've said no. We really had an idea of what we wanted it to be like, and we're finally at a point where we could deliver on that idea. Uh, so we're going back to Kickstarter for another Kickstarter, our third one, and uh, hopefully we'll deliver something really cool. You know, this is a good year to do cyberpunk games. Uh, there's yeah. some big names. <laughs> big names well, good, good and bad. I mean, you're going to have a little bit of competition. but A little bit, but I think uh, I, I, you know, would never expect our game to go head-to-head. -head. I think it's a it's a cyberpunk head -head. boats are all being raised at this case you know there's a lot of great games out there developers out there thinking the same thing like game deck came out uh disco elysium was absolutely phenomenal there have just been so many good cyberpunk games in the last six months i think uh i think it's a good time to be doing a cyberpunk game regardless of how amazing 2077 is when it comes out eventually whenever whenever they get it done you know quality over timeline and that's something i, I understand 100 percent. 
I'm totally fine with quality over timeline, unless you have your devs working, you know, a hundred hours a week for six months. You know, that's yeah, six <clears> months. <throat> like, what's this is madness. Twelve months minimum. <laughs> that's not enough. <laughs> we must do it more. Yes, these these devs need more training. Put them back in the crunch machine. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I, I mean, I have an interesting perspective on tr on crunch. Now, obviously, working for yourself, you know, it's a little different. Um, so I, I think uh, I think they're making the right decision. It's it's tough. Like I've read a lot of press about it. It's really interesting. Um, different perspectives. I know that they're going to make a great game. I think that much. Uh, I think that much we can depend on. Um, yeah, that it's going to be a given, and it reminds me at some point I need to finish The Witcher Three, but I haven't done it yet, so um, I'll get to it by the time they launch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Cyber Knights is going to be your third, like you said, third Kickstarter. Yeah. So it's not like you're <laughs> new to this, but you've been, as I've been watching, you've been building the momentum over like the last couple of months, really, starting back in what, like November? Y'all started talking about it? Yeah, we really started, you know, we started executing on it early last year. So probably May or April, we started accumulating art, prototyping, making the plan. We started really executing a Kickstarter plan sometime in September, and we started talking about it, you're right, right in early November, started talking about it in public. So it's been a long time coming. Like we've been working on this for a while. So the key thing that I want to take out of this is we're past the point on Kickstarter where you can just go, hey, we're going to do a Kickstarter and you launch it and, you know, money starts coming in. You absolutely have to have a community, which you, which you have, but then it's something that you've got to build to just like you're building to a game launch. I mean, Walk us through what you've done for, you know, Cyber Knights and how you approached it. But then, you know, some of the things over the years that have that have worked and that that haven't worked. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that we approached uh, this Kickstarter with was kind of the idea that we needed to have a really good idea of what the game was going to feel like to convince players that it was going to have the kind of experience that they wanted to have. So one of the things that we really wanted to do here was build the Kickstarter on top of the game. Um, and that's something that has really changed, I think, over the last 10 years from our first Kickstarter or whatever to now, from the beginning of Kickstarter to now, is you could, at the beginning, go to Kickstarter without a game, just an idea. An idea, some designs, a couple of concept renders, and say, hey, I want to make this. You know, and now the bar is much higher, right? It's very, it's people, backers, Kickstarter, the community are very aware that you can show up, get a bunch of money, and disappear. You know, there were campaigns that were uh, compatriots or peers of Star Traders Frontiers that raised 10 times as much money as us and delivered no game, just took the money and left. So, you know, there's a lot of tough reality checks, I think, in crowdfunding that have happened over the last, you know, as it's matured. 
And I think one of those things is that people don't want to fund just ideas. They want to no. fund, they want to fund something they can, they really think is going to get made. Uh, people are increasingly savvy about being like, this looks like an, a remix of assets off the asset store, or do you really have any you know, do you really have a chance of delivering this? And Kickstarter shut some high profile projects down when they thought they looked fishy. I remember, that, yeah, I re there was one like six months ago that looked, if you watch the video, like fantastic. And it, then everybody was like, wait, th this is 100% asset flip. I think that was raw, maybe. I, can't were, I mean, there are a couple in, in recent memory where, you know, they went sideways after accumulating a large amount of funding and a yeah. bunch of backers, people just... Uh, did, did did due diligence and found out it wasn't feasible or there wasn't anything really there. So does that affect the amount that you go in and ask for? Yeah, I think it does. For us at least, it affects it very seriously. I think you have to be you have to be very serious about what you're asking for in terms of money and the backers have to understand why. If you look at like the Return to Dark Tower, which is a board game on Kickstarter right now. Mm -hmm. They set a very high goal, $850,000. Have they hit it? Oh, they smashed it in like the first day. Oh my God, that game looks ridiculous. But yeah, okay, looks, go ahead. It looks really awesome. But backers who came in, looked at the campaign, looked at the circuit board diagrams and the ABS mold plans for the interiors of the tower and blah, blah, blah. They saw all of this prep. They understood like, yeah, this is an $850,000 project. I understand Holy why you're asking for so much money. They're at, they have three days to go and they're at $3.2 million. Yeah, they're setting the bar very high. Holy I mean, crap. Projects like that do show that Kickstarter, while maturing platform and a place with some structural issues, still has a capacity to raise tremendous amounts of money if you run a campaign. And they did. That, um, that's a top quality campaign, start to finish, big team, all pro, but impressive. So I was asking so, for a link to that in the chat yeah, there. I just, I just okay. posted it. Okay. Um, sorry, the, the $3.2 million board game kind of took me so, by surprise there. So uh, back <laughs> to your question, what's the right goal to ask? You have to ask, a, you have to ask for an amount of money that makes sense to your backers, and you have to justify it when you look at your campaign. We're asking for $50,000 because that's what we know it's going to cost us to buy the rest of the assets and the server time the assets to do the rewards and the server time to run the alpha if we don't get the money we're still going to make the game like i said we started early last year we've invested too much time and money to quit at this point we'll be disappointed we'll make the game probably a little smaller probably a little less shiny but so, so if we came and said we need five hundred thousand dollars to to do the rewards in the alpha people would say well that doesn't make sense like an alpha should cost you, you know, that's six months of work and server time. Like, it, how does this, you know, how does this line up? So I think you have to make a case for the funding level you ask for, and people have to believe in. So do you look at it in terms of we know what our total budget is going to be, so we're going to ask for a percentage of that, or is it more like you said, you know, it's like this is like the bare bones what we're going to need to get you know, server and art and, and, and content in place, and we'll go there. I mean, what goes into you know, your thinking when it comes to setting that price? You know, how much of it is 
what you know the the camp the, the campaign the the game's going to need and how much of it is this is what we think kickstarter is going to tolerate um yeah we don't really think too much about what we think kickstarter is going to tolerate this game like so this game we will make regardless of the funding star traders frontiers that was not true we needed that money to finish the game if we hadn't gotten the funding i'm not sure what we would have done uh so we're in a little different position with this game we really looked at it for the budget of what do we need to fulfill the actual Kickstarter and give them the backers the game early and be able to make all of these things we're promising as rewards. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to offer custom cosmetics and some unique storylines and special meetings for the backers and stuff that all takes time. So we're going to delay selling the game by a certain number of months to deliver all these rewards. That's really where we came with the budget. What's the cost of rewards? What's the cost of the delay? What's the cost of the extra stuff we'll add to the game? That's how much we need from Kickstarter. Um, and then we, 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 you know, we balance it out. Like, you know, I would love to add, I don't know, other stuff, VR or whatever, but I know that's too expensive. So we didn't, we didn't promise in the Kickstarter. We're not trying to raise money for it. We got a question from Manny Hams on Twitch. Hi, folks. We'll ask, then I got to run and listen later. Is it viable to go to Kickstarter with a small community code features complete, but only primitive or placeholder art sound assets with the goal of funding those presentation layer assets? Yes. I 100% think that is a totally viable goal. Uh, I think you are better off going to Kickstarter with good gameplay and placeholder art than the other way around. Um, you know, you can show very convincing GIFs and screenshots of cool gameplay with with really uh, prototype graphics. Now I would have, if it's like programmer art, I would like go backwards and just end up with like, like gray box art. Like I would get to the, like something that looks like it's a prototype, not like you're trying to make the game look like that because that is one confusion right if you come in and you look at it you want to know that's a prototype they don't intend the game to look this way versus no these guys are terrible at artwork what do they do <laughs> so like there's you know there's a fine line there but if i if i was in that position i would be very comfortable going to going to kickstarter in that case i would think very carefully about how much i was going to ask for uh, and I wouldn't promise too much, and I wouldn't ask for too much. If my community was small, like our first Kickstarter, we raised uh, $20,000 on a $12,000 goal with, I don't know, 400 backers. wasn't big. Yeah. And you know, with, did you, I mean, now you've got that community on 330, your Discord. And... 330 backers was our first campaign. So tiny. So how much of that community did you have built before before that one? Was it any at all? I mean, we had Android games, so we had a web forum. We had an, a small, active community. Uh, when we started Heroes of Steel, we had no artwork, uh, extremely bare bones, like little gray squares moving around fighting. Um, and we raised $20,000. We bought the artwork and the uh, sound effects and stuff. Same thing he's talking about doing. Um, we And the really great thing about running a Kickstarter with the community is you get buy-in from people that really, really care about your game working. Like they give you $20 to get it early. 
and they're going to help like potentially they're going to help you so much uh because they really care like going to some you know going to itch.io or some web thing and being like here's my game for free why don't you test it you're not going to get the quality of feedback that you're going to get like if you get 10 people to buy in on kickstarter they're going to give you better feedback than 100 people playing the game for free that's good to know in so, my opinion what are you mentioned how they help let's dive a little further into that what are i mean aside from just feedback you know what are some of the ways that the community that you've built through all of these kickstarters have shown to be a real positive influence in the game and the you know even down to the business and the distribution parts you know what have you seen in that area that that comes tangibly from having that passionate community i mean they'll save you from being really stupid uh, <laughs> that's one thing that that our community has done really well for us especially during our alpha tests you know it, it's when you're a small developer you will come up with ideas that you really like and you'll you'll think they're a lot of fun and that's part of the whole process right i believe in this idea i believe this game is going to be great and so on but some of your ideas are stupid um you won't know you'll have 10 ideas two of them are very stupid you will not know which of the two are stupid you will love them all and the the alpha backers that we've had have really 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 helped us figure out the stupid ideas uh like star traders frontiers uh there was a system where you could send your crew members to stations so they could like get this little bonus like you send them to weapons you send them to the bridge it's it was awesome it was so fun. Such a great idea. All sorts of different nuance to how you sent your guys around, but it turns out this idea was a stupid idea. I really liked it. Um, but the Kickstarter backers who played the game, they did not like it at all. Uh, and I argued with them, and I tried to convince them, and I kept changing it. And at one point, they were a couple of them got together and were just like, hey, I think we should just remove the whole thing let's just remove it for like one one release see how it feels see what happens and i was like ah that sounds terrible but okay i'll do it because you guys are our backers you know you've you've made the game possible we removed it game was instantly more fun like i knew it before i deployed it i took it out i played it for like 10 minutes and i was like oh they're uh, right that was a stupid idea no like and then i've got you know i've got this terrible history of 28 forum posts and hours on discord where i'm like no idea is good nothing wrong with idea like you guys should love it what's wrong with you and after i played it without it i knew this garbage that's funny so it was removed say you know and if we hadn't had those people that could have gotten to steam and you could have done all of that arguing on negative reviews, you know, it's, it's insane how much that would have cost us if it had gotten to We got it. another Kickstarter question here. You want me to read it, Jay? Go ahead, dude. All right. Nightwolf from Twitch is Kickstarter funding goals just like with asking a publisher for a contract, but probably more precise and public as to where the money goes. As in less contingency and publisher percent adjustment, but more focus on what if add-ons that community may want so that it revolves more on community involvement per budget amount? I'm not sure I understand that because that was a lot. <laughs> I'm not quite sure I understand it either. I'm trying to parse it. So one of the things, Nightwolf, is 
you have to remember from the consumer standpoint on Kickstarter, that developer or publisher may be telling you precisely where the money's going, but you know, like Corey said, there's companies that will take your Kickstarter money and then move to Hawaii. You know, it's it's not not like you get as as a consumer anyway, always that much more info. But it is you know, one of the things that you do have to, that you get out of it is no, you're not giving a publisher a percentage, but, you know, Corey and Andrew self-published their game, so they don't have to worry about it. But it's not unusual for you to get a Kickstarter and you still need a publisher because even though you got the game funded, you don't necessarily know how to market it. So you can still end up going for a publisher or a distribution partner, but, you know, with the add-ons and the what-ifs, and it's just like Corey just said, you are going to get a very good, passionate beta test team in there to take a look at it. And, you know, I'll vouch for Corey. I've been on their Reddit page and, and their forums and their Discord, and he is one of the few developers that will sit down nearly immediately and start, if you have a suggestion or feedback, and push back, <clears throat> but do it respectfully. And then if you make a good argument, like he just said, he'll actually change stuff. Because I, when I first started going to the to the subreddit and, and the Discord and I would see somebody post something, I'm like, who is this yokel? They're not gonna listen. They're just a player. They're not, they don't understand all this stuff. And then Corey starts going into all the equations and all the that goes on on the back end and why it might be plausible. And I was like, holy crap. So. Yeah, you do get a little more feedback from the developers, but you know, you just keep in mind as a consumer, you know, they're not bound legally to any of this crap. You know, they could they could, you know, go and do whatever with it. So you don't exactly get that much transparency as a player. I think one thing, you know, contrasting Kickstarter versus publisher, like you mentioned there's a revenue cut that publishers take that's a big difference i think one big difference is that kickstarter like nightwolf ask about those stretch goals those add-ons are attractive to kickstarter and in my experience publishers do not care if the publisher says we'll give you 50 grand to make this star traders thing sure and you say hey we're going to add two additional playable jobs and a music track can we have $60,000? The publisher is nope. going to be like, no, what? Additional playable jobs, music track. Shut up. Like, I don't care about that. Make the game. I saw your PowerPoint. Make what's on there. It said 10 jobs. That's plenty. I don't care. You say, but wait, hold on. I'm going to add, I'm going to add two additional ship types and a thing called salvage. Can I have $70,000? And, they, and they're going to go, no what are you talking about kickstarter is going to be like this is awesome salvage that sounds great i don't know what it is but it's it in my mind it sounds like there's some mysterious space stuff i have to visit you know i'm into it so i think there's a big difference when you get into stretch goals right return to dark tower goes to a publisher and says we need eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars to make this game if they sell it to a publisher it's possible to whoever gives them that money to make the game there's no chance the publisher goes, damn, that idea is sweet. Here's $3 million. 
Let's let's blow let's blow this thing up. I I love your eight hundred fifty thousand dollar plan. What if I buy three of them? Like, what if we just go nuts? Publishers never do this because they're like eight fifty. We can make six million. Yeah, that's a good ROI, right? So there's your big. I think that's a huge contrast between publishers. Who, if you go to publishers and say eight fifty, that's that's what you're going to get. They're going to negotiate you down, maybe work out the terms or whatever, but they're never going to go blow it up. Right? I, I, I think I'd never thought about it that way, but in 20 years, I've never seen a publisher go, oh, you need 850, but what if we gave you 3 million? I, yeah. I think that comment may have come up at one point in some conversations, but it never went anywhere because it was never, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it's like if... If you go to a publisher and you get your 850, then if the game is successful, then you may get some extra money down the road to do DLC or something like that. Yep. But, you know, they're not going to turn around like Kickstarter and go, I know you only need 850, but here's $3 million. Y'all go have fun. Yeah, that, that doesn't and, happen. And when your game drops, they might suddenly have marketing budget that they didn't mention before and you get some extra ad spend, but they never give it to you up front to make your game better. Like they realize that the game you made is better than they thought it was going to be. So they invest a little more money in advertising or launch services or whatever. But because yeah. that's, that's absolutely one of the things that publishers do, especially the ones that are launching oh, yeah. a lot of games. Now your smaller indie publishers that aren't launching as many games, they have more writing on each game. Mm -hmm. So they're going to support each one a little more, but the bigger publishers that are launching, you know, a game a month or two games a month, they will absolutely sit down and go, okay, here are the four games that dropped in the last 60 days. This one's doing better than the other one. So let's chunk a little more marketing at it. Yeah, 100%. But, you see them on Steam. They got 80 games in their catalog from the last four years, and you know yeah. exactly what they're doing. Yep. Well, we got another uh, comment here from uh, that Ryan Manning from Twitch. My impression of Kickstarter campaigns, especially with video games, is that you end up over leveraging yourself and end up causing more stress than it's probably worth. Any thoughts or insight on that? Um, over leveraging yourself as a developer? Uh, I think that's entirely possible. Uh, I do think that happens. Uh, and I can see how it would happen. I think having done it a few times, uh, it's, there are some lessons you can learn. Uh, a lot of them have to do with scaling and reward delivery. Uh, it, it, there, is a, there is a part of the Kickstarter development process where you are making all these promises to people you haven't talked to yet, right? It's just you and your team, and you're like, what if we promise them custom hats? What if we give them, like, you know, what if we give them a 3D printed figure of, uh, of the main character? That would be awesome. You know, you have all these ideas, but you don't have any idea who these people are. Right? You haven't talked to them. And you can come up with some ideas that sound cool, uh, but you don't know how many people are going to sign up for that thing. And you might really not know how much it's going to cost. So one of the ways you can over leverage yourself really badly is promising things that you can't deliver or that aren't really your specialty. Right? Andrew and I talked about this 3D printed figure thing. We even talked to a couple of people that make such things. But it's not what we're good at right? I mean, we're not good at shipping or fulfilling or, you know, so that's a goal that sounded cool. We think maybe some people would have been excited about it, but 
it's it's something that would have put us in an, in a leverage situation where we've made this promise that's outside of our core mission make the game awesome and it could cost us a lot of money it could throw us off so i think that's something that can happen um and you can get you can make promises in the heat of a kickstarter that you end up regretting so that's something you have to be very careful of too um, and, and so one of the things that I've seen in the past, because I was in, involved at one point deeply in some of these Kickstarters, is yeah, I know you were you were right in there for a while. We were trying to. Uh, sorry, I'm watching chat and laughing because that was like the best phrased question coming in from Game Addict that I've seen in a while. But anyway, it was we had a client. I mean, just world-class triple a background and experience in this and they launched the kickstarter and we're like oh this is going to be great and then they started getting questions in the you know in the in the kickstarter chat basically in the forum and they they didn't know the answer and they were making it up as they went along and, and it just ended up causing more problems because they weren't focused they didn't have a clear plan going in it was like we've all made this type of game and people love this type of game so here's a kickstarter and we're going to make this type of game again and when people started pushing on details they were literally making it up and arguing about it during the midst of the kickstarter and it just it, it killed momentum because it was the play. And this was five, six years ago. And, and the players were like, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know, you know, what they're planning and they don't have a clear idea of the scope. And so it, I mean, the, the whole, the whole thing just kind of went to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Honestly, one of the most powerful things you can say to people during a Kickstarter is no, <laughs> like, no, we're not doing that. You know, it earns you a lot of respect. You just say, hey, can this game support multiplayer? Nope. Not <laughs> in the budget. Not in the budget, not in the plan, not part of the situation. Sorry, we're going to have awesome this, but we're not going to have that. Yeah, it is very easy to make to a bunch of people get on. You're like super excited. They're like, we want to buy in. We want to be part of this, but we need it to have X. So you think, oh, maybe we can add X, you know, and enough little X's add onto your project. And suddenly it's not the same game that you plan to make in the beginning. Yeah, it's good. That's, that's where it's called feature creep. And, yeah. and that will absolutely yeah. destroy any project. And Kickstarter is a good place to acquire a nasty case of feature creep because you are in a, you're in this like negotiating mindset. And if you go into it negotiating the scope of your project, you will get feature creep. <laughs> so, do you want to hit the? I know we've had a couple more questions. We're like, you want me to read you... that from Game Addict Hotline on yeah. YouTube? <laughs> what is the best game engine for developers like yourself, and why is Cocos 2DX the best? <laughs> that's, that's well put. I would say uh, the best game engine. Uh, is the one that Stencil. you need for the current game. <laughs> right, the, uh, one, the one that you're using? Mm -hmm. The one that you're using right now is the best one. Uh, the one that the other developers are using is bad. Uh, we have had a lot of success with Cocos 2DX. Uh, Cocos 2DX has a great price, uh, zero. Uh, Cocos 2DX has source code that is well done, well commented, most part. Uh, 
Coco Studio X has done really well for us. Um, I think you have to, with whatever game engine you pick, you just have to be realistic about its limitations and realistic about what you're trying to do with it. Uh, you know, what we've been trying to do with Coco Studio X is pushing the limits of that engine. And it, it you know, uh, that's why we had to switch. Uh, we really wanted to make uh, top quality PC perfect games. Um, and we were struggling to do that with with the next, you know, go to the next level with Coco Studio X. So. so what are you using now? We're using Unity. Yep. Oh. For the first time ever, we are using Unity. I am back as a C-sharp programmer. First time in like a while. First time in a while. Eight years or something. So is it is it difficult to make that jump, even if you're in between? Now, obviously, if you have one of these brain farts where you decide to change engines in the middle of a game, that's never a good thing. But can't help you there. It's not it's, it's, it's not difficult if you have six monitors. You can fucking but, anybody can do it. And unity on three of them. But is how much of a a time sink and investment goes into switching engines like that even between projects um it's a big it's a big time sink um we have a thing that we call storyteller storyteller is our like rpg meta engine so you have like the game engine and then on top of that you have the meta engine the meta engine is the thing that maps like the gameplay to the game engine and the data stores so you'd have like a different meta engine if you were building an FPS, you know, we would have different things in it. An RPG, like our meta engine has things like branching dialogue and story support and characters and uh, that type of thing that facilitates a turn-based RPG. So we call that thing Storyteller. And one of the things we did last year was porting the vast majority of Storyteller from C++ over into C Sharp uh, and reworking it to fit into Unity's architecture. <clears throat> so uh, it was right. a lot of work, but we, we've we've got a random question from from a fan here. What what is the point of me helping Valencia Fain if she never comes back to my ship ever? Ah, well, that traitorous snake. <laughs> I, I think the first mistake was helping her. Uh, why are you helping the Hana? Like you know, I mean. Maybe, like, maybe this put her on the away team and go fight some Zeno and see how it, you know, maybe I'm it'll just, work itself out. This random person who's asking this, maybe they like the underdogs and, and they don't understand why they invested all this time into making her an officer and then she just runs off and never shows up again. I mean, I'm just, I'm just reading the questions, Corey. I, I, I'm, I, and I'm I, telling you that she has, <laughs> she has a fate among the Hana. Like many things in Star Traders, there's oh, destinies, shit. you know, there's destinies. So she, she has, she has to meet this. Uh, she has to meet her destiny. You'll you will in the future meet uh, her. I think her granddaughter, uh, who will remember the captain and has heard many stories about the captain. If you get that far, so if you haven't played Star Traders Frontiers, first off, just do it. I mean, one, I, I, I you know rag on Corey and Andrew constantly about they don't charge enough money for this game because it is ridiculously fantastic. And there was a guy on Reddit yesterday or the day before who was talking about his hand-drawn maps of the galaxy and the notes he has to take and it 
as you get into the game, there are so many characters. I mean, you, you've got to start like taking notes to figure out who you were helping and why you were helping them. And ah, oh, hell with it. I'm just going to take their ship, you know, because you, you forget originally, but it's a, you know, slight segue there, but it's a fantastic game. Um, all right. So back to the things at hand, what, this is the question that we started with like 35 minutes ago and then we we digest you know digressed into everything in terms of actionable items that you've done for for the upcoming kickstarter what has worked what have you done other than like reddit posts and and social media what's been the strategy to get the excitement built up for for the kickstarter that's launching next week yeah this actually also has to do with uh I want to. I want to just address chat real quick because it's the same thing. Right. Uh, Game at a hotline says, "Thank you for the kind words about Coco's. We'll share with my team. It's Luke from Coco's. Is who it is. So we have a game engine guy hanging out in our chat, harassing us. No. Um, so he He's said, thank you. Oh, yeah, in our Discord too. Jeez. Well, that, no, actually, Luke's that's actually really cool. Really great. Like Luke, has, you guys should talk to him. He's a uh, he's a good cat." He's a good cat. Okay, so Mr. Kooky um, from Twitch says, "What's?" Then this has to go with the question Jay was just talking about. What's the best way to reach out? Announce you're having a Kickstarter. Let's say you already have a community, but do social media ads work work best? What are the cons? Reaching out to journalists. So that goes along with what Jay was just saying. If I didn't totally distract mm -hmm. from everything. So we focus first on engaging our core community. So our core community is really defined as people who are actively engaged with the company on social media, and then people who have previously backed us on Kickstarter. So if you don't have any other Kickstarters, you can take that out. You're really just focusing on building awareness in your core community. So one of the things you really don't want to do with a Kickstarter is surprise people. Kickstarter should never, ever be a surprise. It's a horrible idea. We had a surprise Kickstarter once. It was terrible. Uh, you want people to have time to get money to give it to you. So you do not want people. There's a lot of people in your community that may not, uh, may not have a lot of like flexibility in their budget. Or maybe they have they have a strict budget about how much they spend on games or entertainment. Uh, so they're like, I spend this much on games every month, you know. And if you surprise them with a Kickstarter, maybe they already bought a console title this month and they don't have any budget. So you want the first step is building awareness in your core community and giving the people who are most likely to back you a whole bunch of time to think about it. Um, months, in fact. Like, that's why we started talking about it in November. People, three or four months, heads up. So what have you tried in the past that you're just simply, I mean, aside from, like, surprising people with crap, but what have you tried that just absolutely flat out did not work? Uh, anybody that wants uh, a big percentage of your campaign to promote things. Um, those people are snake oil salesmen and they know nothing about crowdfunding. Uh, anyone that says anything over, I would say at most like 3%, 4%. That, and they better be, they better be a heck of a partner. If you're <laughs> like, 
I have talked to people who want 30%. And anybody who's out there in crowdfunding, if somebody comes to you and says, we will do X for 30%, I do not care what the X is. They are lying and they are just going to take your money. <laughs> like there are there are real snake oil salesmen and scamsters and stuff out, out there preying on people who are new at Kickstarter. Um, so we fell for some of this. Like we paid people to share our campaign, not for a percentage, but for flat money. Like we we're like, okay, you know, that sounds good. Like people will come to you and they'll say, hey, I'm an expert in crowdfunding. I'll share your campaign for $495. I've got a mailing list. I've got a social media account. I got this, I got that. All, almost all, I would say probably all of those people are person scammers. Um, very few of them will do anything. Uh, you, you could theoretically hold them to that with a savvy agreement. If you put milestones in there and say, if you don't mm -hmm. reach X, Y, and Z, you know, goals, then no, you don't get paid. Yep. Um, but yeah, you do. I mean, it, it, it's like everything else, you know, it's, it's just, you have to be very, very careful on who you go with for, absolutely, you know, stuff like this. And big does not necessarily mean good, right? There's companies out there with 30 employees that roll Kickstarter people all the time. That's what they do. And you can find one or two person shops that do a great job that have an actual network. You know, there are people out there that, that are very good at marketing, um, but very few of them will send you a Twitter direct message that's like, yo, I can pimp your campaign, like my mailing list, that's only 500. So to put everything in context, I mean, do you know offhand, we call it social media footprint, you know, how big your, your mailing list plus your social media, plus now your Discord following, how big of a community do you have as you're going out and, and doing these doing these campaigns it's really pretty small i mean five thousand people it's maybe? really pretty small i mean that's not small really <laughs> i mean i talk to a lot of kickstarter people right there's people out there who won't launch without fifty thousand people on their mailing list yeah mm. so and i don't know how they're coming up with that number where they're getting their mailing list people we are always focused on quality over quantity I would rather have a really good 5,000 person mailing list than a mid tier 50,000 because yeah. I can count on my, my mailing list to convert. That, that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Dedication and, and, you know, being involved and having a sense of ownership in it, it, it does make a huge, huge difference. Um, Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.